It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Joining me here today in studio, a very familiar voice to KFAX listeners down through the years. In fact, many of us get our day started with him as a part of Daybreak, heard weekday mornings at 6.30 a.m. right here on KFAX. From Church of the Highlands in San Bruno, Pastor Don Sheely and Pastor Don, a delight to have you in studio with us today. Good to be with you, sir. Perhaps not many people in the audience know of the story of Pastor Don Sheely and Church of the Highlands and the amazing work that's gone up there in San Bruno for the last 50-something years, and how that um, Church of the Highlands and your work there was kind of a pause for a moment, a long moment, in in your ministry and an burden that God had put in your heart in an entirely different direction, even as you have ministered here and led that congregation for so many years, I understand that many years ago, God had put a burden on your heart for the area of, called Borneo Correct. in Southeast Asia. Tell us a bit about that. Well, I think, Craig, the the whole concept of our church has been missions, but it's been unique in that we have had, instead of maintaining missionaries on the field, we have made our missionary pro, uh, missionary goals selecting projects, and then we would go to a field and, and evaluate the project and see how, how it could be done and the cost so forth. And so our congregation over the last 40 years has worked with projects. Years ago, we went to Africa, and we uh, saw how easy it would be to build churches out in, in uh, Africa. So we built churches in Africa. We went to India. And um, um, Mark Bentain, the great missionary there in Calcutta, uh, was a close friend of ours. And so we helped Mark select his site for the big hospital there in Calcutta and became a part of that project. And so we've moved around the world, and I have found that by doing it in projects, you can set a, set a goal, you can get your congregation tuned into that goal, and that's what's on their mind. And when it's finished, there's a sense of completion. Whereas many missionary programs within the churches, you send $100 here and $100 there over a period of time. Uh, project goal missionary work has, gives a sense of satisfaction. And so there's something to be said, too, Pastor Don, about the effectiveness of that, in that there is a certain expense when it comes to preparing a missionary to go overseas. They have to learn the culture. They have to learn the language. There are expenses involved in there. So many of your projects have been oriented toward training up local missionaries, meaning in-country nationals who don't have language barriers, who don't have to raise huge amounts of money because they're local. And as a result, the level of effectiveness in helping to sort of um, um, naturally see sort of an organic growth of the church in country uh, has been extremely successful, hasn't it? Yeah, we for many years. In other words, we select an area of the world and probably concentrate there for two or three years. Some years ago, we selected the Philippine Islands, and down in Mindanao, there was a training center there for the locals for mission work. 
And so we purchased, I think it was 40 acres, and we planted a rubber plantation with, I think, 1,100 rubber trees. Now that plantation underwrites all the cost mm. for operating that training center. And so uh, the joy of getting a project done brings great excitement. But what you do when you move the projects every three years, you change the focus of the congregation. And uh, what brought us to Borneo, Craig, was we had spent a lot of time working in the Philippine Islands. And we ventured across the uh, border from Malaysia into Indonesia. About 30 minutes in, there was this uh, uh, work of for orphans. And we, of course, helped very much. We built many of the classrooms and were involved. We sat in a back hole digger and so forth. But one day, we were talking about the mission work there in Borneo, and the uh, builder who had come there to help in Mount Hope told us about Ronnie's ministry deep in the jungle. Now, that fascinated me. I thought, now, go to the middle of the jungle and create a, a ministry. So I said, the next time we come, we've got to go find this man in the middle of the jungle. So as a result, uh, we made it there. It was a very, very difficult road to get there. It's about 12 hours of washboard roads. And it was late in the evening. We'd been delayed because of car problems and so forth, and probably 11 o'clock at night. And we were right in the middle of the jungle, and all of a sudden we came over the top of a hill, and I saw all these streetlights of a city. And... It absolutely thrilled me that how do you build a city in the middle of the jungles? And as soon as we arrived, uh, we, of course, met Ronnie, and we became fascinated. Here is an 800-acre project or more with a goal of a 1,000 children, schools, medical centers, hospitals, airfield. I mean, it's a complete city. And I've always enjoyed working with men who have great minds who have a great dream. Way back in the uh, 70s, we visited Korea. When Dr. Hong, who had a Christian school there, he would uh, he had escaped from North Korea. Today, he has a Christian school of 16,000 children. But a tremendous vision. God can do anything. And when I met Ronnie, I thought to myself, here's a guy that's much like Dr. Hong. He has a vision and uh, he has a simple faith. And when I walked around that campus that day and saw about 60 buildings, and realizing that all that building material had to be brought in through that crazy road, and um, to see it, to see those hundreds and hundreds of children having a marvelous time, sitting there in the uh, cafeteria eating, going to their schools, I thought, now here's a project that we would like to become a part of. Wasn't there part of this, Pastor Don, that was kind of fulfillment of a burden that had been on your heart for many, many years? Correct. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was my understanding that you had a burden to head off to Borneo to do missions work there right. at the point at which God called you to Church of the Highlands. Yeah. So it was almost as if God paused that for a moment, gave you another assignment, and then when you completed or fulfilled that work, God said, okay, time to pick up where we left off almost five decades ago. 
When we entered the ministry, we had a missions burden. So we were going to act as a fill-in missionary for missionaries who came home on furlough. And so they sent us over to Hong Kong, where they set up our apartment and sent a car over. And we got stuck in a church. So I've had a, a, a detour for 50 years. Mm-hmm. We, um, I always wanted, I love missionary work, but we got stuck in mis- work doing here. And uh, as a result... Had a great place to get stuck on, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, the, the dream was always been... And then, Craig... There's a, a fascination inside me. Where is the end of the world? Go to the ends of the mm. world. Um, well, so when we had our Bible college in Ukraine back in 89 when the Iron Curtain mm. fell, here's Siberia. I thought, I'd like to go to Siberia. And so I talked with a couple of missionaries, and we ended up in Magadan, Siberia, which is as far from uh, as far as you can get in the Russian country. And um, we started a, a Bible college in Magadan, Siberia. And as a result of that, um, that part of the world now has, has pastors that are pastoring many of the churches. And so Borneo has always fascinated me because I know that it's one of the uh, most, uh, uh, probably the most, trying to think of a word, where so backward. I mean, no, it's not, it's not modern. Uh, it's a good definition of uttermost. <laughs> yeah, uttermost. It's uttermost. And so I always wanted to go there. And when I heard about Ronnie's project, I thought, here's our opportunity. And of course, Tony being our missionary pastor has been by my side. And uh, when I got to Ronnie's project, I knew we had uh, reached a, a project that I believe Craig, with all my heart, and I say this in Ronnie's presence, this will go down as one of the great missionary endeavors of the of the century. You know, we understand the concept of Judea and Samaria, and, and hopefully as believers we all have a passion for the Lord to share our faith with others, and in doing so can reach our Judea and venture out occasionally into Samaria. Um, getting to that uttermost, though, um, we know we need to pray for that, we know it needs to be reached, but I wonder how many of us pray and say, Lord, send me to the uttermost that I might fulfill your great commandment and great commission. There's a brand new book out that both Ronnie and Pastor Don Sheely have co-authored together telling the story of this miracle zone. In fact, that's the title of the book, Miracle Zone in the Jungles of Borneo. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now, back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to Lifeline. Craig Roberts, along with our special in-studio guest today, Pastor Don Sheely from Church of the Highlands, speaker on Daybreak, heard weekday mornings at 6.30 a.m. here on KFAX. And with us from Borneo, yes, you heard right, Borneo, is Pastor Ronnie Habor. They are co-authors of a brand new book called Miracle Zone in the Jungles of Borneo. Pastor Sheely, this is really powers and principalities in high places. This is spiritual warfare, the likes of which many Western Christians don't really understand, do they? No, I think, you know, living here in the Western world, most of us do not understand how intense the spiritual powers are in some of these countries. And... um, 
you know, you really have to have a touch of God on your life because to deal with the spiritual issues, when you walk into it, you, you can actually feel. You feel demonic powers present. And um, so the, the, the challenge, uh, if a person went there just to be a professional missionary, he'd be gone in a few days. But to go there with a burden and a touch of God on your life, then you can see God at work in the lives of these people. Um, it's an experience that, that you can't explain. And this is not casual Christianity. This is not cultural Christianity. This is, I may lose my life because of who I name as Lord and Savior Christianity. Absolutely. This is the battle for hearts and minds between goodness and evil and dark and light and the enemy himself and very God himself. This is that battle being played out right in front of our very eyes. Very much so. And I think Ronnie has you know, a number of situations where he's had to deal, even with children who have been possessed and uh, they have their curses that have been placed upon them. And, uh, but to deal with intense spiritual concerns. And I've been in the ministry for a number of years. And maybe only once or twice have I had to deal with intense demonic involvement. But they're in the jungle. That's where they live with. And it really puts a perspective on all that we see in the New Testament. And I think as much as there are some Christians in the West, Ronnie, that would look at the book of Acts, for example, as a history book, and not realize that, yes, while it does give an account for what happened in the early church, in the early days of the establishment of the body of believers following Christ's resurrection, that it is also demonstrative of what real, authentic Christianity is all about, that we hear about miracles of demons being cast out or the blind seeing or the lame walking in, and we think, well, wasn't it nice that God used to do those things? And we don't realize that that is a part of God's world functioning every single day. Oh, absolutely. And that he uses these demonstrations of power, largely as we see again throughout the book of Acts, amazing to see almost every time that somebody was healed, then word spread about, absolutely. and everybody in the village came to Christ. Yeah. Uh, the thousands... Uh, were then led to see him as uh, not just a good man who walked the earth, but rather as truly being God himself. There is a manner in which your church here in the San Francisco Bay Area is actively engaging believers into literally going into the mission field in Borneo. Tell us a bit more about that. One of the exciting programs we're having at the church is we're taking over groups maybe once a year from our congregation and having them become involved. And in July, we have 22 of our young people plus some adults, 14 or 15 adults. And we sent over a, a exploratory team a couple of months ago so that we could find a project for these 22 kids. So Ronnie has set aside 10 acres on his, in his area. And uh, they're presently digging the holes and we're going to be planting an orchard, a, f a fruit orchard, so that in a couple, three years, the children will be enjoying but by sending our young people there, 
It is absolutely a life-changing experience. I was going to say, you know, so often people say, well, I'm going to go, we're going to go build um, homes in uh, Mexico because we want to do something for them. And we, when we come with this idea that we are going to minister to them, and while indeed that takes place, more often than not, the real ministry takes place as these people experience what God is doing there and then bring that back home to the Bay Area. Yeah, it's amazing. I think... And I have three wonderful boys that uh, God has given to us. And years ago, we used to send them to Mexico. And that experience of ministering in Mexico turned their hearts towards ministry. So I have the joy of having all three of my sons working with me. But our prayer is that when these young people go uh, in the next couple of months, that we're going to see some life-changing experiences. And they'll come home and ignite our youth group with their love for Christ and and the experience of which they're going through. If it could only be made mandatory that as young people come to Jesus Christ and they get involved in, in pure discipleship and they learn to love the Lord, read his word, uh, live out his word, share that love with others, and then be required to go on a trip overseas and watch God work and be a part of yep. that. Mm-hmm. And the the change that happens when you come back, you're not the same person. Mm-hmm. And what we did as a church, we talked it over. It's quite a large sum, $3,000 to send one over to Borneo for two weeks. So what we did as a church, we put up the 2000 so that all the youth had to do is raise 1000 which was they were able to do. And so they have become, in a very real way, a part of the project. But the, we think it's a tremendous investment in the lives of young people as a church. I'm going to tell you, Pastor Don, at the end of the day, um, you you couldn't do better if you sent him to seminary for 10 years. That's right. Because what God will do in that experience. You can get more information on the web, livingwatersvillage.com. That's livingwatersvillage.com. You've got photographs there. Folks can see yes. the entire uh, development. And as Pastor Sheely mentioned, 60-something buildings. It, it really is a miracle in the middle of that jungle yeah. there. And that's a great way to get educated about the ministry and, of course, uh, to lend support as well. And so if folks want to get more information, uh, maybe this is uh, something you pray about and say, you know, uh, we'd like to be a part of this and stand with um, uh, the ministry of Ronnie Habor and the family there at Living Waters Village. Uh, pray for them, certainly. And then if the Lord puts the burden on your heart for economic support, uh, folks, I would imagine, can make a donation right through the website. They can. And they can come over as well and give us a hand if they want to. Well, so that's like right. In, in fact, yeah. just like the team coming from Church yeah. of the Highlands. And, uh, you know, if you want to be planted into a good dynamic church with solid Bible teaching and a real demonstrative passion for a Christian worldview that um, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts, I guess that would be San Bruno, um, Northern California, and all the way into uh, the jungles of Borneo. Uh, check out Church of the Highlands, the broadcast, of course, weekday mornings at 6.30 a.m. right here on KFAX. You can get information on the web, churchofthehighlands.org. That's churchofthehighlands.org. And if listeners, Pastor Sheely, have a burden and say, you know what? This is exactly the kind of ministry I've been looking for. This is exactly the kind of thing that I'd I'd like to go and experience. Um, some of these trips uh, in the future are they open to folks coming and getting more information about? Yes, we maybe open going? Up, we open up the trips, and uh, the interesting thing about it, Craig, is we can send over carpenters, whatever it is, because they're building a city. So whatever's needed in the city. Ronnie needs it for the help. So if they want to help teach the children in the school, if they want whatever they want to do, 
they can use their their abilities there. And the reason why I like this project in in the years that uh, we have been involved in missions, oftentimes we can send them dollar bills and and but they don't to send over a church family to help is is really not uh, the most effective way. But here's a project where we can just say to the church, we're going to be taking another tour, come and join us. And uh, we've already built our Highlands house there at the uh, orphanage, so we can, how many can we accommodate, Ronnie? Uh, about 50, I think, in that place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ronnie and I sat down a couple of years ago in, in a restaurant, and we drew out the kind of house we wanted and made it much like a, a motel. And with the idea that because the parents sometimes that are living want to come see their children, so it gives them a place to stay. And we have churches from all over the world coming there to help, so it gives them uh, some uh, living quarters. And uh, I guess when we send our team a couple of months, our kids are going to be staying there in the Highlands house. So if you want to get more information, again, you can um, go to Ronnie Habor's website at livingwatersvillage.com. That's livingwatersvillage.com. You can also call Church of the Highlands in San Bruno if you'd like to find out more about the next opportunity to travel on a missions trip. You'll go with the intention of helping to change lives and come back a changed person. Uh, On the web, churchofthehighlands.org, or you can call the church directly at area code 650-873-4095. That's 650-873. 734095 Miracle Zone in the Jungles of Borneo new book written and co-authored by Ronnie Haybor and Pastor Don Sheely from Church of the Highlands Ronnie great to see you again appreciate the visit yeah, thank Pastor you Don Sheely always wonderful to have you drop God by bless you Greg And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts Somewhat innocuous sounding or obnoxious as the case may be, sounding bit of music might seem to have come from some major Hollywood spectacle or maybe even serve as a great theme song for this show some days. But in fact, it is the theme from one of the best selling video games of all time, Call of Duty. And I've always marveled at those that will talk about what a wonderful teaching tool that computers can be or television and that children can watch a program like uh, Nat Geo and come back with all kinds of great facts and having expanded their horizons and understanding of life in the world and how engaging the computer can be as an educational tool and yet out of the very same mouths will come well there's no influence whatsoever of violent video games on children how can you dare even suggest such a thing well which is it going to be folks can media in particular television and interactive uh, uh, games and so forth can they teach children or are they not teachers at all Joining me now with some insights is Dr. Jane Anderson. She served for many years as a pediatrician at Mount Zion Center for UCSF. And uh, Dr. Anderson, always a delight and an education to have you join us on the program. Oh, thank you so much for having me. 
What, what about this debate? I, I just I never have quite understood, Dr. Anderson, how we can out of one side of our mouth suggest that television and computers are a wonderful teaching tool and the other one say that they at the same time have no influence on children who will spend sometimes hundreds of hours over the course of a month engrossed in violent video games that have no other purpose than racking up points killing people. Exactly. It's sort of why why do companies spend two point five, you know, million dollars for a thirty second commercial on the Super Bowl if they don't think it's going to influence our behavior. Precisely. So there the interesting thing for me is that there is so much new information on brain research. And researchers are now using brain scanning tools such as MRIs to evaluate children and teenagers uh, before and after and sometimes during um, the time that they're playing video games to see what happens. So we now have real brain data that shows that areas of our brain that are linked to desensitization to violence are activated during violent video games. We have more longitudinal studies that show us that children who play more video games are more likely to engage in violent behavior. And it doesn't mean that every child who plays video games is going to end up more aggressive, but it certainly plays into the tendencies, and there are a lot of reasons for it. Um, Violence uh, during video games is not just learned and demonstrated it is repetitively practiced over and over again until you get it right and then that violence is rewarded so you get um, you get to uh, go to higher levels or you get expanded tools of violence so you get rewarded for your behavior and um, and so the violence becomes justified and it becomes quote fun and then worse than that it's what we call many of the games, like Call of Duty, Mortal Kombat, others, Doom. They are first-person player video games. In other words, when we think of Pac-Man, it was like take a you know take a joystick and make the you know little Pac-Man guy move. Um, you weren't actually Pac-Man, but the first-person player games, you are actually the player, and you see the world through the player's eyes, and that's why. Um, some of the school shooters had never held guns before. The kids in, um, I believe it was Mississippi, had in Pearl, Mississippi, that student had never held a gun before, but he'd practiced on video games, and so he was able to have direct hits to students who were running, but he got them with one shot and killed them, which is, you know, better than most, you know, police agencies or soldiers can do, but well, he'd been practicing. Well, and we've seen cases where military, including our own, um, are, are extremely interested in talking to uh, potential recruits who have very high marks in video gaming, because these same individuals who, as you point out, often have no experience shooting an actual weapon whatsoever, and yet when the gun is put into their hands for the first time, demonstrate remarkable levels of marksmanship. Why? Because the ability to load, reload, aim, and so forth, they've practiced all of that sometimes thousands and times over. I mean, in often cases, uh, Dr. Anderson, I would imagine just in terms of overall experience, albeit not with a real weapon, but still, their level of experience 
is equal to or exceeds even what the police get on the firing range. Oh, sure. I mean, there. Th- one of the studies is from 2004, so it's old now, but boys between 8 and 13 years of age were playing 13 hours a week of video games, and most of those are violent. So although not all video games are violent, 10 of the top 20 game sellers are violent. And it is a multi-billion dollar industry, $11.7 billion um, we're spending. So I always like to tease and say, don't tell me we don't have enough money to do X, Y, Z. Excellent point. You make reference to a number of these studies that are out there, the growing body of evidence that suggests that, of course, there's a connection to violence after they've seen and been programmed uh, by this kind of so-called entertainment. I'm curious to find out what the brainwave activity is showing, and most importantly, what needs to be the warning word here. Even after the heels of events like Sandy Hook, we're teaching our children that violence is entertainment. In real life, When we engage in wars that we do, we teach our children that that's the way adults settle disputes. And then when our kids grow up and turn the guns on us or act out violently against us, we wonder what happened to little Johnny that maybe because he wasn't breastfed as a child, he's acting this way. We've trained these kids to behave like this. Why are we as a society surprised? Rhetorical question. Better put, what can we who understand it and get it do to overcome all of this? We'll continue with more of our conversation with Dr. Jane Anderson as Lifeline continues. This report is brought to you by Positive Coaching Alliance. In Hayward, a multi-vehicle crash. Northbound 880, it's right before Highway 92, and that is in the right-hand lane. Emergency crews are there. Traffic had to stop from Dyer Street. We have a stall westbound 80 right around the center anchorage on the Bay Bridge. That's blocking the left lane. Traffic slowing from the Yerba Buena Tunnel. Traffic going on the roadway in San Jose, southbound on the Guadalupe Parkway, right before Skyport Drive. It's in the two left-hand lanes. Car fire in Oakland, eastbound 24. That has been moved over to the shoulder. It's and We have slow traffic uh, from Broadway out to the Caldecott, and then it's slow again from Camino Pablo to 680. Got issues with youth or high school sports? Positive Coaching Alliance can help. PCA, a national nonprofit, offers more than a 1,000 free online resources for youth and high school sports coaches, parents, students, and administrators. Visit PCADevZone.org. Our nation's pandemic and subsequent financial crisis has affected hundreds of thousands. Many of those hardest hit are right here in the Bay Area. Many are neighbors, friends, even folks we go to church with. Jobless, hopeless, homeless. Since 1965, the Bay Area Rescue Mission has been caring for the homeless and impoverished, providing food, shelter, and a fresh start for those struggling with addiction or personal economic crisis. Most importantly, the Bay Area Rescue Mission delivers the hope of the gospel message to each and every one they reach. Right now, your gift of just $40 will provide 20 meals. $60 provides 30 meals to families struggling economically and those living on our streets. Your partnership with the Bay Area Rescue Mission helps meet the physical needs of hurting families and the spiritual needs as well. To share your tax-deductible gift of hope today, simply go to bayarearescue.org. That's bayarearescue.org. 
This is Albert Moeller for townhall.com. The evidence is mounting that the American work ethic is disappearing right before our eyes and is being made clear in the aftermath of the pandemic. It's going to have huge consequences. The United States has had at the center of our cultural ideal the fact that we are meant to work, that work is important, even vital. Daniel Henninger, writing for the Wall Street Journal, asked the question, is the American work ethic dying? Jobs are available. Henninger notes that, quote, it is impossible not to be struck by how many employers say that former and prospective employees after a year of forced unemployment simply will not work, end quote. There are currently 8 million fewer Americans working than before the advent of COVID-19. The pandemic, says Henninger, accelerated a transition evident for years toward an emerging idea that life is less about work and more about play. This is very bad news for the character of the American worker and for the future of the American economy. Publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu What is school choice and why is it important? Every child is unique and each learns differently. Some might succeed at the local public school, while many others will do better in a private, Christ-centered environment. School Choice allows every family to select the educational options that best fit their children. Which is why, for the 10th year running, KFAX again offers families our back-to-school half-off tuition program. We understand how costly a quality education can be, so we've partnered with some of the most prestigious Christian schools throughout the Bay Area to offer half-off tuition for the coming fall term. The program applies to families enrolling a child for the first time. Nearly 300 Bay Area families have benefited from half-off tuition vouchers. Why not yours? Discover how a biblically-based education can radically change your child's life. For all the details and a map of participating schools, visit kfax.com. According to the Office of Traffic Safety, no state has more pedestrian deaths on roadways than California. Our crosswalks have become increasingly dangerous. When you're behind the wheel, be mindful of pedestrians. When walking or cycling on roadways, always stay alert. And should someone else's negligence cause you harm, call the Kavara Law Firm at 1-800-4-INJURY. They've recovered millions for their clients, and they'll review your case for free. Call 1-800-4-INJURY or click 1-800-4-INJURY. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. So the um, five or six billion dollar a year video gaming industry says that their um, their entertainment has no influence on children and violent activity whatsoever. Of course, they would probably have um, upwards of five, six billion reasons why they would say that. Dr. Jane Anderson with us today with a bit contrarian insight on this topic. Dr. Anderson, you mentioned about this growing body of evidence, and I know there have literally been thousands of studies that have tied in uh, the the impact of prolonged exposure to violent video games and the degree to which children who have a history of that as a form of entertainment acting out in aggressive behavior, involvement in a violent manner with the authority, so on and so forth. What's the response to all of this? Uh, what should it be? I mean, we've been talking about this for years and years and years. Outside of parents waking up to certain realities, is it time for the government to begin interceding here and saying, you know what, just like we won't allow kids to see certain classifications of movies, we're not going to allow them to engage in certain classifications of violent video games? 
Well, you know, um, as much as I'm a conservative politically and I don't like government intrusion generally, um, I think if we compare it to, just like you said, you know, if we compare it to like accessing alcohol or pornography or going into an X-rated movie, I think we can set some limits on children and adolescents. They are still under adult sort of authority and, and I hate to use the word control, but should be <laughs> under control. So I think, yes, you know, California tried it. We, they passed a law to uh, limit the um, access of teenagers to <clears throat> the most mature rating or the most violent um, video games, but it was defeated by the Supreme Court as a right to um, freedom of speech. Um, but I think if we can limit, you know, sale of, of pornography, I think we can limit the sale of violent video games. But I really would encourage parents, um, until that time, <laughs> uh, they really have to be aware of um, the, the violence in the video games. And a lot of times it's not noticeable at the lower levels. If they're sitting next to their, you know, uh, teenager, they need to see, well, what's at the higher levels? And I want to really point out to all parents that boys are so susceptible. Uh, the way the boys' brains develop and their exposure to, to testosterone in utero at 12 weeks gestation, their brains develop differently, and they learn by competition and repetition. And that's exactly what video games are. So they're much more likely to become addicted and be influenced by the video games. So for, for everybody, limit them, but especially for boys. And, you know, even parents of toddlers out there, the parents of toddlers who are listening and you're probably thinking, oh, well, you know, my kid's not affected by this. You know, you're handing them your iPad, your iPhone to keep them entertained, you know, while you're in the car or at the doctor's office, and you are teaching them that screen time is entertaining and you're not doing what we, we used to do as parents, talking to them while you're, you know, in the car and playing word games and I spy out the window and, you know, helping them be creative and problem solve and when they're at home, get outdoors and do things outdoors. There's so much that of life that our children are missing out on because um, they're they're indoors playing video games. So I'd really encourage parents to be aware. Keep computers, video games, consoles, everything out of the kids' bedrooms. We have documented evidence that children who have computers and TVs and games and stuff in their bedrooms, they do worse in school, they have more problems with obesity, they sleep less, they have more behavioral problems. It's like there are things that parents can do. You know, and the other thing that dawns on me is you were sharing the notion of not engaging children in, in the healthy way, that, that kids of my generation, we had no choice, none of this stuff existed in those days. I think we barely had the electric light. Uh, but we, we tend to then train kids to be very inward-looking as opposed to outward-looking. There, there's no sense of wonder and awe about the world around them. It's all limited to, you know, the 13-inch diagonally measured screen of the computer in front of them. And, you know, I, I think that, 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 you know, not only leads to a tremendous degree of, of, of a false, distorted, sort of just two-degree, uh, two-dimensional, rather, view of the world uh, in spite of the best efforts of 3D, but, but then, too, Dr. Anderson, I mean, isn't there a degree to which there is a chemical high 
that kids get off of this, not just as they're advancing and they're making more points and they're able to, you know, engage in, in, in more points for more kills and things of this sort. But aren't we kind of there's got to be sort of a, a brain chemical reaction to engaging in this violence through a video game. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, that's that's where addictions come in, and there are definitely, you know, teenagers who, and in young, especially young young men, young men who are addicted to video games, and the addiction comes from the pleasurable response, and unfortunately, there's there's like a gate in our brain, and it's only going to let through certain sensations. So. For instance, if I'm sitting here, I'm not paying attention necessarily to where my feet are or what smells are in the room or whatever. The brain um, determines what is sensational, what is new, what is innovative and creative, and it lets those sensations through, which is why you have to have sort of different, more creative, worse violence at the higher levels using worse weapons because that keeps that excitement and that adrenaline going and it allows your brain to take in that sensation and then it stimulates your dopaminergic system and um, that's what contributes to this need for more and more. Well, just as much as we see the same thing played out in real life that oftentimes children who engage or or adults who engage in violent behavior then do need to go higher and higher and higher in order to receive sort of the the same kind of uh, chemicals uh, enjoyment out of it. That's exactly right. So it ought to be easy for parents to connect the dots, folks. So let's start connecting the dots. Now, urging our government at the state level and federal level to start putting bans and restrictions and tighter controls on this, age restrictions, things of that sort is very important. But I guess at the end of the day, uh, Dr. Anderson, it really comes down to the parents, doesn't it? It really does. And the video game industry does have ratings on the video game, so pay attention. You know, look on the box. You know, does it say E for everyone or does it say M for mature audiences only? And it will say on there if it's sexual, if it's violent, if it's, you know, um, if there's foul language, it'll say on there. So look and read. Um Teenagers tell you their parents might set rules for the TV viewing, but they don't set rules for video game playing. Well, set some rules and set some guidelines. Meet with the teenagers. Hey, what do you think you're doing when you're, you're playing video games? What, be, what activities are you not participating in? Oh, you know, you're not outdoors exercising and playing on a team. And boys, by the way, learn so much about the real world by playing on a sports team. So... You know, get your, and girls do too, but boys more so, get your guys out there playing, um, you know, reading, being creative. You know, it used to be kids would go outdoors and create the rules to a game, and they'd be creative. You know, you be this, I'll be that. And now it's just, you know, I'll sit here and sit side by side with my friend, and we'll both, you know, play video games together. It's like, no, there are yeah. so many wonderful alternatives and the evidence is overwhelming in so many arenas of life, whether it's the physical development of the child, the emotional development, the cognitive development, even developing empathy and compassion. Our brains develop that by looking at someone else's facial expression. Well, you can't see those changes when you're in front of a screen. 
how far we've come from the day and age when I was a kid and they couldn't get us to come back indoors and today we can't get them to go outdoors. Our thanks to Dr. Jane Anderson for being with us in this segment of Lifeline.